2: to another wonderful episode of how to be sound presented by me rosemary mccabe where i interview someone that i suspect is sounder than me i know it's it's a big ask if you're not already you can read my writing if you decide that you like the cut of my jib on patreon.com slash r-o-s-e-m-a-r-y-m-a-c-c-a-b-e that's patreon.com slash rosemary mccabe but because my dad's an asshole i've got an a in my mac Today I am joined by Claire Hennessy, YA and publishing queen. What is your what is your official title? Oh, my official title is is human.
1: We've decided to go for because you know it's it, it's straightforward. Um, it's so yeah, very can,
2: very inclusive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Of humans, anyway. Absolutely, yeah. Perhaps excluding like sort of other creatures, but you know that's a whole thing. Um, yeah. So I usually kind of describe myself as a. Writer, editor, and creative writing facilitator. So to not give, uh, not give sort of any anyone like sort of more of a more of a sort of, of an edge. But like everything that I do is related to kind of to, to books and stories and the words and the the
2: shiny things. So yeah. and and the English language.
1: The, the, the language, the language. I speak the English good sometimes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and do you remember the first time we met?
1: I. <laughs> <laughs> awkward oh my god is this like did did we meet in person like at a time that I have I have forgotten
2: I mean you don't seem to have remembered it anyway oh dear god I am so sorry no 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 I mean like so this is something that I ask everyone on my <laughs> podcast rights so that don't feel particularly <laughs> put on the spot but we met first in in the penguin offices
1: Ah, oh, yes, yes, yes. No, I do remember that. Yes. I was like, I was
2: like um, it I, wasn't, it wasn't a trick question. It wasn't like we've met at a time that you don't remember.
1: I was like, I was I was just about to go, I am so sorry for, for whatever I've, I said
2: <laughs> or did or, you know, I didn't mean it to take that style.
1: <laughs> yeah, because we were talking about the writing and the words and all that sort of stuff. And I am. No longer working sort of with uh with Penguin, but oh my god, like learnt so
2: much in the land of like
1: publishing and books and like behind the scenes.
2: So like humble brag, Claire emailed me to say, <laughs> have you thought about writing, I think it was kind of writing YA, wasn't it? Or like writing nonfiction for young adults. Nonfiction
1: for young adults. Yeah. yeah. Um, so basically like the kind of stuff that you do sort of in the in, in the blog or now the sort of the, I mean, is it still a blog if it's on Patreon? I don't know. I don't know the lingo these days. Yeah, I don't, I
2: mean, I don't know either. I guess it is in a sense that it's regularly published writing online. You know, that seems to be a very loose definition of a blog to me, but I guess as the years have gone by, blog has kind of become a maybe slightly pejorative term in that it feels like, oh, you're just writing a blog. Yeah. You know what I mean? That it feels almost like you're just writing diary entries online, which actually, now that I say it out loud, is not entirely different to what I do. But, like, I think it's just, it's so funny
1: because, like, we're living in an era, particularly sort of in Ireland, where it's like, oh, my God, you know, sort of like this collection of personal essays by a woman is amazing, you know, and there was, I mean, there was such a sort of, you know... Like fuss made over Emily Pines' Notes to Self, and like it's 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 a good book, but like if you've been reading sort of like women's writing online for the last ten years, it's like yeah, you know, like I've I've seen this done before. Like I can appreciate this book, but like it's not doing sort of anything radical or new. You know, like there's I a lot. I see what of, you
2: mean. It's just the publishing is kind of caught up. Like paper publishing is kind of caught up with what's happening with online publishing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like the I think the sort of the honesty and the rawness that you get on. Like Like a lot of you know, sort of a lot of uh, websites is like like way more kind of interesting, exciting, like you know, than what you what you might get sort of in a in an essay collection, you know. Mm. So yeah,
2: the idea that it was like this kind of like groundbreaking thing is like yeah, okay, like skeptical face. Yeah, (laughs) I think there's something very interesting about the kind of potential impossibilities that come with publishing online from the point of view of not being edited, and obviously that has its own problems, you know, and. I'm not trying to devalue the the work of an editor and I think for a lot of people it can make a huge difference but I think also what we see online is like you said so raw and unfiltered and also written without a kind of a commercial end in mind which yeah. is, which makes it different.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean I do think, you know, obviously I I support the the role of the editor, um but I do think as well like it is it is different when it's when it's kind of personal writing, you know, and Mm. when the sort of the rawness or the roughness can actually be sort of a a good thing you know the sort of that lack of kind of of sort of a filter um, yeah. and when it's kind of when it's sort of short form as well you know because like you can like the thing I always say to people like sort of if you're writing like if you're writing like a short piece like if you're writing like sort of a short essay or a short story or whatever like you can hold that in your head you know you can sort of have an idea of where it's going the whole way through whereas like when you're writing a book you you don't you can't like and that's I mean I think that's sort of when a lot of the sort
2: of the editorial kind of feedback becomes really important mm. Tell me about, um, I don't necessarily want to dwell on what you used to do, because I want to talk more about what you're doing now. But when you worked at Penguin or, you know, when you worked in in commercial publishing, what were you looking for? So I was
1: looking for children's and YA projects that would have been, I suppose, like interesting, but also kind of commercially viable. And that is it's it's a tricky thing in a way when you're a writer as well because you know what it's like to be on the other side of those emails saying
2: Mm, no thanks but no thanks
1: not for us or for you know so there might be something that you're kind of quite excited about
2: but it's just like it's just not going to fit for like whatever whatever reason that might be did I send you the the email that I got I I submitted some work to an agent a couple of months ago did I forward you the email that I got I think we might have talked about it I think you talked about it yeah um but like speaking of kind of thanks, but no thanks, it was, I mean, it was it was really difficult to take. Yeah. And I think that's probably, I mean, I think there are probably different ways to go about it. So I'm sure knowing you and kind of how you work and, and having done one of your creative writing courses, I feel like you would probably be more constructive than everyone is. Um, you know, I also think when you're submitting stuff to a publisher or an agent, it's not their job necessarily to keep you going,
1: if you know it's, what I mean? It's, it's not, no. And I mean, I think, you know, so I think you owe it to people to be polite, but... Uh, it's not It's not the step that people should be taking if they're looking for feedback. That's the thing. Like, you know, sometimes you might get sort of a bit of feedback or a bit of kind of, uh, you know, sort of like a PS, here's like, you know, a suggestion or here's a, you know, sort of bit of encouragement or whatever. And like, that's great. But like, it's not, it's not the, you know, sort of the editor's main job or main priority. Like mm. their main
2: priority is to... To say yes or no, basically. Yeah, to say yes yeah. or no.
1: And then to sort of be working on those yeses and making them as brilliant as, as they can be. You know, I think people sort of do forget that like you know sort of editors aren't just like you know sitting there reading their submissions inbox the whole day mm-hmm. you know that actually they are sort of working on other kind of other sort of projects and I mean like I do I do still see that I'm you know so I am now sort of like kind of was sort of kind of also at the time but one of the editors of a literary journal called Banshee so we we've just kind of finished sending out our kind of nos and our yeses and like there would be people people where sometimes you're going like, okay, this is like, we really liked it, but it's not for us. But like, please do send us more work. You you can't do that for everybody. And people kind of shouldn't be, shouldn't be expecting it. Um, And I think sometimes people, people are, and like it doesn't mean that like like of course like it of course you feel crap when you get a rejection. <laughs> like like people kind of say, like, don't take it personally. And like I just always think that's such like nonsense. It's like of course you're gonna yeah. take it personally. Like it's your it is something that you have made and people are saying
2: no to it. Like that yeah. is
1: that's not a pleasant thing. It's I mean, not fun.
2: <laughs> I think there are certain things that you can make that you don't feel such a personal attachment to. You know, like I think there's a difference between a fine artist and a house painter, and that's not to denigrate the house painter, but the house painter isn't going to take it personally if someone's like, I really hate the colour you painted that house or, you know, I really hate the way you did that architrave or whatever it is. Whereas if you are working on fine art, I mean, maybe... I think it depends as well on how you're confident just, you're just you are. You are just going to get angry own.
1: comments from house, house painters now, just being mm. like, "Actually, I take it very personally because that paint that was the color she said she wanted, and I did a really good job." And well, I mean, <laughs>
2: that's that's kind of it. That you know, like it's not so much of putting your own artistic self into it. Yeah,
1: it's it's functional, like you are fulfilling yeah. kind of requirements. Yeah,
2: the same way, like an accountant, I don't think is necessarily going to get annoyed that somebody says, "I don't really like the method." at which you produce that result. Because you're like, well, I'm still producing the results, So it actually, I don't really care if you like it. You know what I mean? If you like how it did it or not. Whereas it is different if you're a musician or an artist or even like a teacher. I think you could probably take it quite personally. I'm sure they have the worst life. I'm sure there's a lot of complaining from parents. But you could take it quite personally if parents are coming to you and saying, I don't think you're doing this right. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? For sure. Tell me about Banshee. For people who don't know what a literary journal is, because I think often the term literary journal, like we we would go into a shop and pick up a magazine right yeah, yeah. a literary journal feels more Fancy, for them snooty. instead of for us yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah
1: absolutely yeah and like it's definitely the case i think that some of them out there are i suppose more interested in the idea of like giving writers a platform that rather than you know, sort of like creating an enjoyable reading experience. I guess what we, what we try to do sort of with Banshee is to sort of to, you know, focus more on sort of like, you know, having it sort of be, be a fun thing. But of course it does sit with the literary journals, you know, so things like uh, The Stinging Flyer or, or The Dublin Review. Like I like to think of it as a kind of a selection box of new writing. So there'd be, we usually publish kind of a couple of sort of kind of personal essays, um, short stories and poetry. Um, but like poetry that you can actually like read and understand. I was was,
2: was almost going to say because I feel like poetry of all creative writings is is the most the most difficult to access or seems like. Feels like the most difficult to access for a lot of people.
1: I think so. I think a lot of it is the way that it's taught in school. I was going to say that because yeah.
2: it's drummed into really. you so much, and
1: it's it's treated like it's treated like a riddle. It's treated yeah. like it's something that you have to sort of decode. And if you don't decode it in the right way, then you have like failed at yeah. reading poetry, and it's
2: and it's your fault, and you're not smart enough. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. yeah, and like. Poetry is like it's such a natural form for for people, but they, you know, sort of they do kind of like they are taught. We are taught out of poetry, you know, because I mean teenagers write it. I mean, like really bad poetry. Oh my god, like, I used like to bad, write bad angsty
2: poetry. I used to write the worst angsty poetry.
1: <laughs> was it like did, did the word like soul turn up a lot? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was
2: it was always like I'm glad in hindsight that my parents never found it because a lot of my poetry I think expressed suicidal ideation at a time when I did not have any experience of you know, I had not considered suicide once by the time I was sixteen. I think I had just read a lot of like Angsty Teenage and I thought that was very um deep.
1: Yeah, no no it you know does I mean? it does really feel like like you totally romanticize it. So it is like it's the total kind of tormented artist thing, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like you want to be Sylvia
2: Plath, basically. Yeah. Um, it was either suicide or men. Oh yeah, those are those are the two
1: topics, the two great topics uh, of of teenage poetry. I like I should have just brought some of mine. Could have compared. Would have been like, oh yes, yes. See this like same sort of you know tormented, <laughs> tormented sort of imagery going on. Yeah, mm. very very sort of common. Yeah, like I think there's a weird. There's a weird thing as well that sometimes I think adults do, where like they assume that like every, like, everything that sort of, like, their, you know, so that a child writes is, like, super autobiographical and that if they're writing about dark material, yes, it means yeah. that they're, like,
2: then they super be, depressed. Yeah, and yeah. it's
1: like, no. Like, yeah. I mean, I think the way to think about it is, like, they're in a position to be making something, you know, and depression is kind of more of a kind of state of, like, yeah, I'm not going to be making making anything. I'm just going to, you know. But bleh. you know
2: what? You know what as well? I think that's hugely gendered. Oh, like, yes. Yes. I mean, I, I remember. Are you suggesting we live in some kind of patriarchal society? Oh, I'm, my God. We might. I remember when I had Louise O'Neill on the podcast and she was talking about how everybody kept saying that Almost Love, which is her second most recent novel. The other yeah. one is The Service Breaks, which was the reimagining of The Little Mermaid. Sorry, this is not a Louise O'Neill ad, but I just <laughs> wanted to clarify. So Almost Love is the one she wrote about this kind of tortuous, troubled relationship. Yeah, with the with the with the, with the bad man. Like we have all we've I all I mean had bad that. man but also bad woman. Like there was there were yeah. no good characters really really in that book. But when it came out, everyone kept kind of saying, like, how much of this is tied to your own life? And you're like, how many people have asked Cullum Tobin, like, did you live in a like flat in Brooklyn? Like, did you travel over to Brooklyn on the boat and get terrible uh seasickness? Like nobody's accusing yeah. him of You,
1: you know, know what I mean? And like and Brooklyn is like basically a May Vinci novel and like you know, I don't just mean in terms of, like, the, the subject matter. I mean, like, sentence by sentence. Like, on a sentence by sentence level, it is like, you know, you're reading and you're going, like, I, I've seen this stuff before. I've seen this in, you know, sort of, like, another great Irish writer who, you know, did not get nearly the same kind of level mm-hmm. of acclaim. Um, but, like, it's such a common thing with, with writers. Like, men get to have imaginations and women get to have biographies,
2: you know. But, you know, yeah, I mean, but that's also through everything. Like, like women have to have experience to back up their thoughts,
1: yeah, and women
2: are are assumed that all of their thoughts. You know, it is assumed that all of our thoughts are backed up by experience, and that the reason we are, you know, feminists is because something really bad must have happened to make you this angry.
1: Yeah, you know, like like what, like being being born a woman in a like society that hates you. Ooh, ah, maybe that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember um, I I did this tweet thread a couple of years ago where somebody had said to me something like, "God, it really seems like you hate men," and I went, <laughs> "Interesting." like well that might be because and I wrote this really long tweet thread about basically kind of every small um microaggression that I felt I had experienced at the hands of a man hashtag not all men but enough yeah. men and uh it got so much backlash and so much backlash from men who were going I simply do not believe that all these things have happened to you
1: yeah they sort of that it didn't happen kind of thing yeah, yeah yeah no but like men don't see it And even sort of very liberal men are much more likely to, I think, believe the experiences of like any other sort of marginalized. Group
2: um, more than women, yeah, more
1: more than women because women have always been women because women have always been in their lives. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. like, is I think it's just really difficult for them to imagine that the women that that in, are in their lives have been have been living with this and have been dealing with this and have developed kind of strategies to you know sort of like to deal with uh, the you know like all these kind of microaggressions and the things that aren't like the situations where it's like okay, nothing bad happened, but you're you're always kind of aware that something bad could happen. Mm. And you're aware that the pressure is on for you to be, you know, sort of taking some kind of action um, again yeah. you know, to, to defend yourself against yeah. that. Um, I think it's just it's, it's really hard for, for people to get that, you know.
2: You know what I wonder as well? I, I feel as if in our culture and society, women are taught to deny their own feelings and deny their own thoughts Especially when it comes to sex and sexuality. So, you know, we're not supposed to talk about being turned on. We're not supposed to talk about wanting to have sex with somebody, like, unless we love them. We're not supposed to talk, you know, if if we're thinking about teenagers, teenage girls aren't supposed to talk about their desires. Yeah. And so there's a certain pressure for women to be seen to deny what they want and then to kind of, quote unquote, give in. Do you know what I mean? So the whole yeah. thing about like, oh, I'm not going to have sex with you and then being like, oh, I really wanted to, so I did. But like, I told him I wasn't going to... And therefore, I think women get unfairly kind of accused of lying. Yeah. Like seen as the kind of tricksy gender. You know what I mean? That it's oh, like, completely. oh, well, like women are, are never being straightforward. Completely. Yeah. And
1: like so much sort of around sex and like even even with sort of like so many kind of like consent classes, like for the for the young people these days, you know, the hip young people. But like so much of that is couched in. The- Have
0: ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?
1: It's exactly the same kind of language where, you know, the focus is on telling, telling young men that they need to be checking in and they need to be sort of respectful and they need to be sort of listening. And it's like women as kind of gatekeepers, you know, whereas, you know, we're not, we're not teaching sort of young women to be like, okay, right. So like, you know, don't be afraid of like making noise, you know, sort of be yeah. vocal, be enthusiastic like, be like a consent. friend, yeah, yeah, enthusiastic consent, like, and you know, like, I mean, I and I do think like sort of, you know, anyone who sort of thinks like... Uh, you know, sort of, like, consent is, like, totally sort of unsexy is, like, I just, I just worry about the kind of sex that they're having because, like, I, like, I think there is nothing as sexy as somebody going, like, you know, like, you know, sort of in response to, like, sort of, oh, do you, like, do you want that someone kind of, like, purring, kind of, like, oh, fuck, yeah. Yeah, You know, like, that is sexy. This sort of, like, you know, sort of like tricking somebody into into having sex or tricking somebody into thinking that you didn't want it. It's like what, like what kind of bad sex are you having here? Or like,
2: you know, or like during it, being like this is so sexy. I don't think I don't think he's that into it at all. Like, <laughs> what? I was that attractive? Tell me um, not to move on from. I don't know how I end up bringing so many conversations around to consent and feminism, and I mean, it's a big theme in my life.
1: I, you know, it's it's nearly it's nearly like you're living in the world or something, and like you're moving through it as like, as a woman with opinions, like that might be, might be
2: something to do. It's, I, d- it's I don't know. nearly like that. Let's talk a bit about Big Smoke. So you are okay. co-director?
1: Co-director and co-founder of the Big Smoke Writing Factory, which is a creative writing school in Dublin city centre. As of next month, we are 10 years
2: old. Ooh. Oh, wow. I know. So what age were you when you, when you founded it?
1: I was 23. I should note, I'm like, the, the younger of the of, of the, uh, of the uh, founders. So I co-run it with a kind of writer and performer and theatre maker, uh, Nicole Rourke. And we... Yeah, it's, I, I basically, I, I seem to do the thing where, you know, so if it's like, yeah, just like start up businesses with, with all women. I do blame, like, reading The Babysitter's Club, like, as, <laughs> as, as a child. It was like, yes, of course, this is, like, clearly the model for, like, how
2: to do things. Which, like, which babysitter did you identify with?
1: Uh, Marianne. So much Marianne. Yeah, but, like, wanted to be Claudia, but, like, was not cool enough. Everybody wanted to be Claudia.
2: She's just too cool. Yeah, yeah. Even the way she put clothes together, wasn't it? You know, weren't there always long paragraphs about how like Claudia threw this thing over this thing and then put on like a paint-spattered jumper and rolled up the sleeves and she always looked amazing. Yeah,
1: and she made her own jewellery and she was just like fabulous. And probably like she would look terrible.
2: (laughs) I've made jewellery myself and it never looked good.
1: No, she was like super artistic. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. There is like a blog on the interwebs uh, called What Claudia Wore, um, which just details like her outfits. It's amazing. Yeah. And like it's funny because like the, the you know the writer of the series anna martin is like you know so very much not interested in like the, the the clothing and all like she's like real kind of like simple plain sort of like outfits you know uh like very much kind of a Christie or or marianne pre-makeover
2: and <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting uh, really deep
1: Mary Makeover, number sixty in the Babysitters Club series. Was it
2: really? It, it was, yes. She didn't get a makeover for sixty books. Well I mean if she, you know, if she was due a makeover, sixty books seems <laughs> an extreme number.
1: You know, like she did have sort of like kind of a mini makeover, but it wasn't described as like a makeover. Like this makeover was like sort of
2: a to get rid a of her glasses. Thing like,
1: she didn't have glasses. Oh my god, yeah. How can you have a makeover without a pair of glasses? Like, and and, like, just like, sort of undoing your ponytail, I know. Can't imagine it. Yeah, but like, she did get sort of like, her hair cut into this like, sort of new kind of trendy style, and I think sort of like, maybe had like, sort of like a red flared dress. Um, I mean, not that like, I'm obsessed with those books or anything. (laughs) Um, I believe we were talking about work, but like...
2: Yeah, yeah, we were talking about work. Okay, so back to Big Smoke. So, why did you like... Where why did the idea come about or why did you feel it was needed if you know what I mean Um, so
1: at the time and I mean there were originally sort of like more people kind of involved and you know particularly sort of at like sort of discussion stage you know the part where like you know the part where sort of like it seems like sort of it'll be kind of like a fun thing to do before you realise like all the work Mm -hmm, is going to go mm -hmm. into it and it was basically just you know to do with sort of uncertainty around arts funding for kind of other kind of organisations that were I suppose that people would have been sort of teaching with and it kind of seemed I suppose like a, a good time for people that were, you know, sort of, like, teaching creative writing to think about, okay, like, sort of, would it make sense to have, you know, sort of, a more, sort of, like, collective, um, collective kind of system whereby, um, it's, okay, it's actually really like the Babysitter's Club, okay, <laughs> except, except instead of, like, you know, sort of, like, instead of babysitting it, it's creative writing it is very much you know okay like sort of like you know you might have say like somebody kind of in beginners who's like you know sort of like really into the poetry but like that's not like really a thing that you specialize in so you could be like okay I'm going to recommend you to like my poet colleague over here and like you know kind of get, getting to do that and getting to like organize classes in a way that and um, that works best for creative writing because like there's a lot of stuff where say like you know operating the same way that maybe uh like you know sort of a traditional kind of adult education class might work for example just isn't going to be isn't isn't going to be sort of like the ideal you know or having uh, like having say like you know like like 30 or 40 people kind of in a workshop that's not a workshop that that's a lecture mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know like you need kind of you need sort of small groups you need your like you need your biscuits you know really it was all about the biscuits uh, the biscuits
2: sure yeah people. I did a I did a creative writer a four-week Kind of intro to creative. I think it was intro to creative writing course a couple of months ago. A months ago but yeah. I only made it. I, there were four classes. I think I made it two, which was devil But I'm very flaky. I'm a very flaky human. But the biscuits were a big perk.
1: It's you know you need that sort of sugar fix. There were
2: Cadbury's um, chocolate fingers. Yeah, that's a high-caliber biscuit.
1: It's really crucial. High demand. Yeah, yeah.
2: So so, so tell me about which kind of, like, what kind of courses do you offer and what are the, so what are the group sizes if you're saying 30 or 40 is too big?
1: Yeah, so we would usually go for 12 to 15 um, as a, as kind of, as a maximum. And sometimes we would run, like, if you were running something sort of quite specialist. So, like, I would do, say, maybe sort of, like, uh, workshops, like, in, like, specializing in, like, children's and young adult fiction. um, You might have a group of, say, seven or eight, you know. Okay. Um, but like that would be sort of situations where people are like bringing in their like bringing in kind of long extracts of work, and we're kind of we're, we're discussing it um with sort of like a general sort of beginner class, or like sort of four week intro or a six week intro, which which we do a lot of because you know I think like I, I think sort of everybody can kind of get something out mm, of like mm. that level of, of creative writing. Like it's not necessarily like you know we never kind of assume that like everybody's here because they want to you know sort of like write a bestseller. Like some people do, mm. but like you know sometimes it is just like I want. I want to get out of the house I want to I want to sort of get back in touch with my with my creativity yeah um and like we are I do think like we're we are all natural storytellers you know like we, we all do that like we like if we have a crappy day at
2: work like we we turn it into a story for you know like sort of our mates in the pub my you know. my my therapist is always giving out is the wrong word because she never really She's, she's very judgment-free in a kind of annoying way that I'm like, what oh, yeah. are you trying to say? And you know what I mean? So she's never yeah. criticizing me. Stop being so, like, ethical and professional yeah. and just tell Stop me. being so neutral. Just give out to me already. Just scold me. But she basically will often try to get me to retell something where she'll go, okay, that, that was the, the fun version. Uh, so tell me that again. And, like, tell me how it affected you and tell me. Oh, right. Rather than, you know, so, like, I'll be telling her a fun story about, how, oh, my God, I did this and I did that and it ended really tragically. And then she'll be like okay, well, that was very, very entertaining. But do you want to try again?
1: Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. yeah. And it's and
2: it's really challenging because, I mean, it's something that I kind of do, you know, that like the, that, that kind of Nora Ephron cliche now that's yeah. like everything is copy. Yeah. But I absolutely do that to the point of kind of self-sabotage where I will go on a date with somebody that I kind of don't really want to go on a date, but because I think they're probably a bit mad, you know, putting <laughs> myself in probably dangerous situations where I'm trying to get the story or I'm trying to figure out the backstory or yeah just kind of I mean a lot of it kind of does does revolve around dating where I think there are a lot of times when I should be going that's enough I never want to speak to you again and I'm going tell me more tell me more (laughs) for my story Um, but one of the things that I found really helpful and useful from the two classes that I went to was... That's all, that's all it takes. <clears throat> just two <just> classes. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be the next E.L. James, which is basically what I'm, what I'm aiming for now. Lots of money and not a lot of skill. Um, But was kind of the idea that you don't need to be writing anything to write. So, mm-hmm. like, often I'll be like, I must sit down and write a book or, like, work on a book or work yeah. on this... Whereas it really reminded me that you can sit down for 10 minutes and write and that's writing and that's valuable in the same way that working on a project can be valuable. And I guess it's because, you know, we probably do think about our time and our output in terms of what the result is going to be. So like, what's the point in doing this unless you're going to get a book out of it? What's the point in knitting unless you're going to knit a scarf? But it was that kind of reminder that you need to practice and the way to practice is just to sit down and write. And I found that so useful
1: yeah I mean I think like we live we do live, like we live in a world where we're obsessed with productivity you know and Mm. like sort of emphasis on the product and a lot of writing is it's the process and it's getting kind of used to that process and it's giving yourself a bit of time to kind of to play with it as well and to be thinking you know okay I'm doing this because because I enjoy it you know like I always I always kind of compare it to like going to the gym um, and I don't know why I do that because like I never go to the gym you know so like it's kind of like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try to put this in like terms that you might understand where Whereas really i 'm like yeah i don't know it's uh, I, I I hear I hear people get like sort of a buzz out of it, and um, but it's that thing like when you're you know when you're doing it like you're you're enjoying it you're getting something out of it like you're not it's not going to like sort of like you know sort of like completely transform your life or anything like that, but like you're in kind of a better place when you're when you're doing it you know yeah and then you've like you've done something like you've kind of you've achieved something even if it is like only like the ten minutes you know, and it is it is kind of important and it, it does
2: it does matter, you know. Mm, yeah, and I, I mean, it was just a really nice. Um, you know, I know everyone talks about the importance of mindfulness and the importance <laughs> of meditation. And <laughs> well, I did
1: you know that, like, you know, mindfulness will just it'll
2: cure everything. Mindfulness uh, ever. will cure cancer. <laughs> you, you heard it here, not first, but one hundred and seventeenth. But there is something unavoidably mindful about sitting down and writing. Yeah, because you can't you can't do anything else. You know what I mean? And like like I'm I'm very bad or or good at. Uh, multi-screening so it's very rare that I would be doing just one thing I'm listening to a podcast and I'm walking or I'm watching TV and I'm taking things off my to-do list or I'm writing something while I'm on the the train you know that I'm very rarely doing one thing whereas with writing unless I mean if you don't count like being at a coffee shop and drinking coffee you can't be doing anything else yeah
1: yeah, no, you like could, you can't
2: even listen to music because then I just write down the stupid lyrics.
1: Yeah, or you realise that like you're describing like the music video for the, for the <laughs> thing, and you know, it's like, oh my god, this 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 you know sort of scene is so romantic. Wait, no, no, that was you're uh, like, this
2: uh, is the best short story <laughs> I've ever written. And then you realise you're just writing like the the whole uh, narrative of the OC because you're listening to that awful California song. I would never listen to that song. <laughs> you know I I,
1: mean? I find it interesting that like um because the OC also popped into my head, but I was actually thinking more like covers of Hallelujah and like, oh, you know. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah the, the OC actually had a good soundtrack. It had, it, it it had that really good um, placebo cover of Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill. Oh, excellent Do you song. remember, was, yeah. that, was that when Ryan was in the, the cage fight? <laughs> the OC was ridiculous. <laughs> or was it, when, was it when Marissa got run over? Oh. I think it was the cage fight. Yeah, I think it was kind of early, early-ish. I think Hallelujah was when maybe when she got run over. Or I think
1: so. I, well, yeah, I think Hallelujah, like, sort of is, like, is, is, like, something with... No, I think that it might... was when she OD'd Oh, into oh overdosed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> and it's, like, Ryan sort of, like, carrying her, sort of, like, uh, you know, sort of, like, kind of, like, like, Pieta style. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. God, it was, be- it was a beautiful scene, actually. Um, <laughs> but... We're we're gonna wrap up shortly, but I actually realize you're probably a really good person to ask for like I I will frequently tell people that I like like kind of shitty teen TV. What and are you watching these days?
1: I am doing a serious rewatch of Grey's Anatomy um on, on Amazon Prime because you know, like a
2: bit of medical drama, why not? And I've never seen Grey's Anatomy, but I literally oh, All I know about Grey's Anatomy is things I've seen on the internet with people going, every episode makes me cry. And I'm like, I cry every second day anyway. I don't know if I need (laughs) Grey's Anatomy in my life right now. So I've kind of avoided it.
1: Yeah, you know, like, no, I don't, I don't think it's it's that high on the sort of on the cryometer, you know, but it's like, it's good. It's like, you know, there's like a lot of, you know, like sort of smart and kind of fabulous women in it. So it's like, yeah, okay, kind of liking this. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I do like Shonda Rhimes. Yeah. And like, you know, like Sandra O oh for the 10 seasons that she's in it mm-hmm. is like just kind of amazing and fabulous and wonderful. Um, I need to get into Killing Eve, which I... I've have, never seen Killing Eve and that's on my not, list as well. It is on my list. I have like the DVD of season one. It has been like given to me as a like, you know, sort of like, you need to watch this. I'm really hoping the friend that gave it to me is not listening to this, (laughs) going, I judge you. I judge you so hard. She's probably at home
2: going, God, you know, Claire must be just about ready to give me back that box set now. (laughs) She has to have watched it by now. Yeah, you know, so it was
1: like such a thoughtful sort of thing for me to do. (laughs) Yeah. And I I Rewatch. I do a lot of rewatching, I think, because I like to tell myself that it's like, you know, so that I can like analyze for like structural kind of things. But I think mostly it's like a comfort thing. I was just about to say, know? it's
2: very comforting and it's also not hugely taxing. Yeah. Because yeah, you know yeah. the storyline. So it doesn't matter if somebody calls to the door or if you get a text. Got a text. Are you watching yeah. Love Island? I know. Oh, no. you're better. You're a better. I'm, person I'm so sorry. Own. I know. Like, it's. Don't apologize for being highbrow, <laughs> Claire. That's absolutely fine.
1: I can be I I, I have other lowbrow interests
2: <laughs> I'm sure you do but listen like Love Island doesn't need to be one of them <laughs> you have plenty thank you so much
1: it's been great for taking oh, the time to come you. and chat to me
2: is there anything you'd like to plug other than can people pick up is there a new issue of Banshee out there's a new issue of Banshee coming out in the autumn and we're
1: also it'll be number nine which is very exciting and we're also bringing out our first book which is called Paris Syndrome by Lucy Sweeney Byrne so that, those will be out in the
2: world, kind of September, October. Okay, brilliant. And Big Smoke is just com. It is indeed, yes. So you can check out the courses that are available there. If people would like to get in touch with you, would you like them to or would you, would you like to stay <laughs> hidden?
1: I, I like the humans, yeah, the humans are great. <laughs> um, so I have a website at ClaireHennessy.com and I am on Twitter far too frequently at C Hennessy Books. That's Hennessy spelt like the cognac, but sadly no relation. So oh makes, yeah that is I kind know. of sad
2: and actually claire's twitter is very good for recommendations of books but also recommendations of women to oh. follow and like women to be interested in i find you you're you're kind of inspiringly supportive of of women online which oh. is oh, really this, nice
1: i feel validated as a human now <laughs> thank
2: you well, that was the thank whole you. purpose of you being here <laughs> thank you so much And thank you guys for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do so at Rosemary McCabe with the aforementioned A in my Mac. You can support me, patreon.com slash Rosemary McCabe with an A in my Mac. And you can also do me a favor, rate and review on iTunes because that helps other people to find it. And also when I was showing my aunt how to download podcasts the other day, she was momentarily kind of impressed at the fact that I had a 4.5 star rating on iTunes so I really need that not to go down because she'll tell the whole family. Liam Garrity is my producer you can listen to his podcast meet your maker at meetyourmaker.ie or wherever you get your podcasts. And he recently won two bronze medals at some really fancy New York radio awards for his podcast Meet Your Maker and for his other kind of drama horror podcast called Petrified, which you can also find wherever you get your podcasts. And I want an award now because I'm feeling very ill done by. Thank you so much and I will catch you next time.
0: Hold up, what was that?